in the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness is a choice, and we're happy you're spending some time with us, us being Chip Brown and Zay Collier. What up, Zay? What's cracking, Chip Brown? How you doing, man? Oh, man. It is a, uh, it's a Tuesday, putting it all together, trying to just put the pieces together, you know. Excited about our show, though. We got Chris Hummer our national college football analyst coming on at 1.30. Little recruiting update from Hank South at 2.15. So we are off and running. And Zay, Tuesdays when you and I typically kind of catch up with the rest of the college football world, we, we tend to do that deep plunge on Mondays into what uh, just happened with the Texas Longhorns. And of course, yesterday we spent a a good amount of time kind of doing the autopsy on the Red River shootout. Um, But, and I don't know what to make of this, but Quinn Ewers overcoming the three turnovers by completing 26 of his last 28 passes, including a school record 19 straight. That do anything for you? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, it really does. You know, a guy who last year, if he would have thrown two interceptions like he did in the OU game, probably would have had a horrible game for the rest of it, came around in year two and showed some serious mental toughness and some serious physical toughness because that OU defensive line, they were in Quinn Ewer's house all day long and it was brutal how much Quinn Ewers the five sacks that OU had had to maneuver just to get passes off and yeah that pick second play of the game one of the worst passes I've ever seen I still put it on JT Sanders if you're gonna have it in your hands you gotta make that play even though you and I talked yesterday Quinn if you want to get to the NFL like we know you want to that trajectory of yours it's been like that since those South Lake Carroll days well you gotta put it in a more secure pocket but then he fumbled that too was bad but to overcome all that and still to have a solid performance and put his team in the best position to win I mean you sent me that picture of Malik Muhammad playing 15 yards off on that last drive for OU that went five plays, 75 yards, including the Terrence Brooks pass interference. But, you know, I I thought Quinn Ewers, with all that went bad on Saturday, I thought he still gave his team life and put them in a really good position to win the game. And if if he didn't get sacked on that last drive for the Horns, where Burt Auburn had to kick that kick to make it 30-27 to at the time, then who knows? They probably would have went down and scored a touchdown. But you have a third-string center in there that got beat at times, and that's going to happen. So... Yeah, man, the fact that he went 26 for 28 and, you know, that last part of the game, that's pretty incredible. And I think Quinn Ewers, he should get a lot of love for his gutsy performance in the Red River shootout. Yeah, I mean, it um, it does show growth um, from, from Quinn Ewers. And it also, you know, was his highest completion rate of his, of his Texas career. So – as we zero in uh, at the midpoint of the season, Quinn Ewers has completed 
128 of 184 passes, 69.6% for 1,704 yards with 11 touchdowns and three interceptions. Of course, two of them came against OU. Last year, he had, he completed 58% of his passes, 15 touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, he played in uh, – he missed three games. He played in 10. So um, – and the other thing is that – if you take away the 14 times he's been sacked this season for minus 77 yards for some stupid reason in college football, they put sack totals on the run total instead of the passing total like the NFL. Uh, if you take away the 14 sacks for minus 77 yards, yours has run 19 times for 137 yards. That's 7.2 yards per carry uh, for five touchdowns. He's converted eight third downs with his legs. Six of those have either extended drives or directly resulted in a touchdown, including TD runs of 5, 29, and 30 yards. And that's the that's the new slim down Quinn Ewers, the sleeker model. He's trying to be more of a Corvette than a pickup, Zay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And again, just talking about the growth of Quinn, like it's been huge this year from losing the weight. I know cutting the hairs definitely gets headlines and stuff, but his composure and just getting back to good mechanics and understanding what Sark wants in this offense, like they put a lot on a freshman last year. And I love the fact that they mentioned it, Herb Streak and them. They talked about him seeing a psychiatrist. We talked about how big that was where we saw Kirk Cousins on the Netflix series quarterback and how he saw a psychiatrist every week because the position that you play and the magnitude and just the magnifying glass that you're under at the University of Texas and being a starting quarterback in the NFL like a Kirk Cousins, it's a lot. It could be a lot for a 20-year-old and being able to handle it and, you know, know that you might get death threats and stuff, but know that there's a bigger picture out there. Like, he, he's so big in his faith. And, yeah, I just think Quinn Ewers is playing a lot looser out there. Even though he had three turnovers, I still thought he played a solid game. I give him a B-minus for that game, which it easily could have been an F. The Horns should have got blasted by 20 on Saturday with all the mistakes they made, all the timely plays that OU made, all the non-timely plays that Texas made. If we want to talk about up oh, honorary call, here you go, people. Y'all wanted it yesterday. Sorry. Who's that, Chip? What, what are we doing? What is wrong with him? What is what are we doing, man? What I, is uh, wrong? ALBK, sorry, you got something coming tomorrow around 920. I'm just gonna call Buck and see what the hell happens. But yeah, they wanted that yesterday. Y'all get it today. But anyways, yeah, you're talking about Jaron Thompson missing the pick. You're talking about Jaron Thompson tackling Dylan Gabriel late, going for that uh, just tough shot. You're talking about Terrence Brooks uh, passing the Ferentz call. Like there's so many different things that happened in that game. Jalen Ford, John A. Barron playing way too many snaps 
Way too many. I get it. Those are your dudes, PK, Sark. Those are your guys, your leaders. They should not play every single snap. That is ludicrous. That is absolutely bonkers. I still can't believe that when you told me that yesterday, Chip. That is absolutely nuts. So with all that crap that went on to lose by foe, just foe, I I got to give it to Sark and them. Like the culture has shifted. Yes, that game hurts, but you could feel the culture changing because a lot of other Texas teams, they just would have taken that ass whooping during the biggest game of the year. And this yeah. team, they fought. They did fight. They had a lot of pride. They showed that. And now, hell, you got Danny Stutzman getting horns down tattoos and shit. Hell, yo, let's make sure we put ourselves in the position where we could see those guys again. What is wrong with people? He's from Windermere, Florida. Like, <laughs> he didn't grow up in – Ardmore, Oklahoma, or Tulsa, or Oak City. He's from Wintermere, Florida. Yeah. Yeah. That I boy. mean, I respect it. I bought in. I bought in. I mean, Danny Stutzman, I feel like he's going to play on the next level. So I'm sure he's probably going to have Longhorn teammates eventually. So, yeah, that's oh, – yeah. Going to be some awkward conversation, but that's the rivalry, man. That's what it is. That's why we love college football for guys like Danny Stutzman, guys like Tim Tebow, even though a lot of Horns fans hate this guy, Brian Bosworth. Like, there's just certain guys out there that are certain characters that get a lot of love. And that's the reason why we love college football, even if a lot of people hate those guys. Well, two of the characters who are prominent front and center. In the OU world right now are Gabe Eichard and Teddy Lehman. They do the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast. And they spent 33 minutes breaking down the goal line stand of the Sooners and goal line futility of the Longhorns. 33 minutes. They literally go over each play and how it broke down for Texas and how OU disrupted it. And after watching it, Zay, mm-hmm. I'm I'm like, what what were what like we had not seen the the super jumbo package with Byron Murphy and Tavandre Sweat. And after seeing it, I don't know that we ever need to see it again because like as they pointed out, Tavandre Sweat doesn't spend his time at practice trying to leverage a block against a moving target. And he had the most important block in the sequence um, when they were trying to run to the right. And, you know, why didn't they run toward Kelvin Banks, all this stuff? It was, it's confounding. And it was a mess. I mean, it was a mess. Like no one hit their targets for Texas. Um, and you know, as they pointed out, it was clearly a fresh wrinkle, a new surprise. And as everyone else has said, why don't you just put Byron Murphy into Andre sweat behind Jonathan Brooks or behind Quinn Ewers and just push him into the end zone. Hmm. Like, why are we doing all this footwork and movement and trying to get seal blocks on the edge? when that's not what Tavondre Sweat spends his time doing. So if you really want to 
kind of bang your head against the wall, you can check out the uh, Oklahoma Breakdown podcast. I wouldn't recommend it if you're if you're kind of uh, easily triggered. But um, you know that's going to be remembered for years. There's no question about it. It's uh, especially depending on how this season ends. Hopefully, it becomes a footnote afterthought on Texas's way to the Big Twelve championship game. But that one, that one's going to stick. That one's going to leave a mark. Yeah, definitely. And shout out to our Coda text line, 512-222-9328. Somebody said they need to put Malik Murphy in those situations. The big six sixer from Cali. Put him in there if you're afraid of light-ass Quinn Ewers losing all that weight due to the non-Chick-fil-A. And, yeah, do a little – Philly push or whatever they call that brotherly shove. That's what they call it. Brotherly shove. Go Jalen Hurts on them. Even though Jalen Hurts is different. Remember that dude benches 700. Just so that dude's leg strength. He's a different type of cat. But still, yeah, maybe they should have put T-Sweat and Byron Murphy behind Jay Brooks so they could push that guy in. I don't know, but... Ah, there's so many different ways you could have went, like especially with Savion Red. Like all Savion Red has done in the games that you put him in, and the Wildhorn has gotten yardage. And now you got Gunnar Helm getting in the mix on that pass play that they had earlier in the game on fourth down. So if you put 17 in the game in that situation. I don't know if it would have worked, but it might have been better than what you threw out there with those two defensive linemen. And at the end of the day, you got to win that battle, point blank period. Sark's been talking about it all year long. When the defense knows that we're going to run the football, you still got to drill them and be able to run the football. And he had too much confidence in that team. He had too much confidence in that package that they just put in that they haven't worked on very long. And you're right, Chip. When is Byron Murphy and Javondre Sweat? When are they spending a lot of time on run blocking? They're just big. They don't really, you know, know everything that goes into it, know the real X's and O's. They don't work on it enough to do that. They don't just, they don't have the time. You're only given a limited amount of practice time. You don't want to be like my dirty-ass old Juco coach, Tom Schubert, and get booted out of D1 because you practice too much. You don't want to be that guy. So it's very limited on what you can do, and you got to focus on whatever you think is the main focus going into your game plan and going into your matchup come Saturday. So, ah, yeah, that's a play that we're going to be talking about for a very long time. It's definitely frustrating, but you live and you learn. And I think this team, I think they're going to rally from this. I mean, remember, they were missing a lot in this game. Like JT Sanders shouldn't have played at all. I'm going to stand on that until whatever I'm buried six feet deep. Like I, he shouldn't have played in this game. I love him. He definitely means a lot to this team, but with what he gave out there, he was more of a liability than he was any type of, you know, decoy. He was more of a liability, especially with all the stuff that Sark had him doing when it came to blocking. Like he had way too much responsibility. A lot of plays came his way and he got blown up. And I 
I'm going to have to look at it as just not being 100%, thinking a lot, it being a big game. And plus that OU team, they were a bunch of rabid animals foaming at the mouth. So, yeah, there's just so much that went into this game. But all you could do at this point is get as healthy as possible and see what happens in this Houston game this week so you can prepare for them and hopefully have a good showing for these next six games. Yeah, yeah. It's – uh you know, Sark said yesterday, I want this one to sit and sting a little. Um, so because he feels like his team will respond and will, you know, get healthy. Obviously, they got dudes they need to get healthy. Um, and we talked yesterday about how Cole Hudson will be back for the Houston game, which that's big with Jake, with Jake Majors out. That is significant. Cole Hudson, the second team center. How long is Jake Majors out, by the way? Is there any word on that? Not not clear yet, but it's probably going to be a couple, you know, a couple games. Um, And you said Kelvin Banks, rumor going around that he had an ankle injury and something else. Yeah, and Hayden Connor. Hayden Connor, yeah. So all (laughs) those dudes need to get well, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be – it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how these guys respond because look, the schedule works in Texas's favor. They gotta handle business and then they gotta make sure that something crazy doesn't happen, like West Virginia emerge as this year's TCU. Yeah, because Oklahoma, even though they won that game and they're fifth in the nation and they're feeling good and stuff. Andrew Anthony, him being out for the year, that might be a problem. That might be a problem. Like Nick Anderson, here you go. Like you've been playing really well. You have the game of the life of your lifetime, you know, with that game winning touchdown and stuff. Well, now you're really the man. And Andrew Anthony, he's tough, even though Farouk's the one and Stoops are the main two that ate the horns on Saturday. Anthony, the transfer from Michigan, he's been playing well this season, and he was someone that Brent Venables and Dylan Gabriel could count on. And now not having him for the rest of the year, all right. I mean, everybody's dealing with some adversity right now at this point halfway into the season, and the teams that are deep and can overcome with coaching and still you got to develop these guys and develop you know i like that sark talked about those you know second string and third string guys getting them in the mix a little bit more making sure they're locked in not only for this year but for the future i like that because you just never know you never know when that guy that's you know getting a ton of reps is going to go down that we have a connor robinson type situation like that was as brutal as it was the westlake alum held his own like i gotta salute him that's a very difficult scenario to get thrown in for your first game of your career. Like that first real game. Like I know he's played some, you know, backup minutes on some blowouts and stuff, but serious like action, you get thrown in the Red River shootout as a red shirt freshman. And he had some very timely mistakes, but all in all, he he played solid. He did the best he could. And I, I'm good with that. So Here's our slate in the Big 12 with Texas having an off week. You ready? 
We got we got West Virginia at Houston on Thursday night. We've got Iowa State at Cincinnati at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Kansas at Oklahoma State at 2.30. BYU at TCU at 2.30. And K-State at Tech at 6 o'clock on FS1. I'm a little intrigued. I mean, I'm probably going to tune into West Virginia and Houston because Texas plays Houston next. And... West Virginia is in Texas's way. And BYU at TCU, I got to see how Kalani Sataki's team is looking because they're coming to Austin. And then K-State at Tech. Texas will face both of those teams yeah. down the stretch. Both teams that are seriously underachieved at this point. I did yeah. not think Tech would start off this bad, and I definitely didn't think Kansas State would already have two losses going into this point. I mean, I can understand Missouri. Missouri's a solid team, and they might have one of the best wide receivers in the nation, but losing to Oklahoma State, Will Howard three interceptions, I mean, mm, that's a tough one for Chris Kleiman and them. That's a tough one. Well, and Texas Tech has discovered Taj Brooks, and he's now fifth in the nation in rushing. It's kind of like they've uh, sort of figured out that Taj Brooks can run the football. He's averaging um, 120 yards rushing per game. Or, excuse me, he's averaging um, – 114 yards rushing per game. Of course, our man, Jonathan Brooks, 121 yards rushing per game. He's the number two rusher in the nation. Uh, but Imani Bailey of TCU, he's right behind Brooks. And Taj, or, yeah, we got two Brooks we're talking about here. Um, and Taj Brooks. So this is... This is interesting to see the identities of these teams developing because when Tech played Wyoming, they didn't rely on Taj Brooks nearly enough. They were they were having Tyler Shuck running around. Now he's he's on IR and they got Baron Morton in there. And so almost like out of necessity, they've figured out, oh hey, Taj Brooks is pretty good. So Tech is starting to put some stuff together. We'll see. But that uh you know i'm watching i'm watching that k-state tech game because k-state has owned tech i think they've won 10 of the last 11 in that series damn i mean it's it's it doesn't matter where they play it doesn't matter who's playing it's just been k-state over tech no no problem yeah, and you kind of wonder as Will Howard, how healthy is he? I mean, he got hurt in that Missouri game and stayed in there and didn't look good and hasn't really looked good since. So I don't know, man. I mean, he ran a lot against Oklahoma State, so I guess he's healthy enough to have over 100 yards on the ground. But, yeah, this is a big game for both teams. I mean, Taj Brooks, the uh, carries that he got – 
in that Baylor game, like 31 carries. That's some old school football right there that uh, Joey McGuire is throwing out there. And Dave Aranda, they couldn't do anything with it. So it might be one of those just grimy games, but both teams need this dub. But the game of the week, Zay, Oregon at Washington. You got you got Oregon at Washington. You got USC at Notre Dame. I mean, all the action is in the Pac-12 for God's sake. Hmm. You got Oregon, Washington, and that is, I mean, that's for the driver's seat in the Pac-12. Period. Yeah. I I'm all over this game. Two thirty on ABC. Yeah. Who's with me? Oh, yeah, I'm checking it out. I'm checking it out. You know, both high-powered offense, Bo Nix doing his thing up in Eugene, Michael Penix doing his thing up in Seattle. And, hey, whichever defense could get a couple of stops should be the team that comes out victorious. But they're such high-powered offenses, and they could go fast at tempo, they'll run the football every now and then. So, yeah, yeah, this is a huge game in the Pac-12. And, ironically, the Pac-12, just completely collapsing this is the best season that it's been in a very long time maybe ever and you had you know Washington lose to UCLA last week and Colorado having to win off a game-winning field goal like it's nuts out here to Arizona State and yeah you just want to survive and do the best you can and you know see if you could finesse your way to the Pac-12 tournament or Pac-12 championship because USC they got a big one against the very angry fighting Irish Notre Dame team that just lost to Louisville um, last Saturday so yeah it's possible it's absolutely popping, but I'll be checking out Oregon uh, versus Washington for sure because I love some Michael Penix. Ever since we saw him at the Alamo Bowl last year and just knowing his story, coming from Indiana, dealing with all those ACL injuries, and now he's finally found a home at Washington State. And, you know, the way that he could rip it around to all those good receivers like Adunze and, you know, what's his name, Pollock or Polk? What's my man's name? What's the other receiver's name? Starts with a P. Uh, Polk. Yeah, Polk. Caleb Polk. Yeah, Caleb Polk. Yeah, that dude, absolute stud. So, yeah, yeah, it's going to be some exciting football um, on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, they are the – they're where all the action is this weekend. It's – it's uh, it is amazing that that league is falling apart. But here's – I don't know if you watched the USC-Arizona State game. I mean, USC is just like – evading Arizona game USC Arizona 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 yeah it was crazy in fact let's bring in our man Chris Hummer national college football writer analyst for 24 7 sports Hummer how you doing not as good as y'all on that picture I just saw on Twitter y'all are just like posing all over the place (laughs) oh yeah man we gangsters something like that something like that Hummer Hummer Y'all look like y'all are about to shoot like an R&B, like a rap cover or something, or cover from like the 80s or the 90s. I love it. <laughs> we got that. We got that in us. So, yeah, this is this is exactly where I'm going with this, our man CB. How is Alex Grinch still employed as the defensive coordinator at USC? It's going to cost – it's going to cost Lincoln Riley – 
a shot with the he's got the Heisman Trophy winner. He's got this crazy offense and his defense can't stop anything. Well, I, I assume like Alex Grinch has like some brisket picks on uh on Lincoln or something from back in the day. He's got a, right? like a second second camera roll of it because that's the only thing that makes sense. But um yeah, it's interesting. For a little while there, Alex Grinch looked like he'd be the answer. I think it was I might be getting my years confused, but I think it was 2020 when Oklahoma had like a top 30 defense nationally. Um right now they don't have that and nothing close to it at USC. Um, but you would think after a little bit, his speed defense would kind of catch up with the times and it really hasn't. Um, Oklahoma, or USC is abysmal on that side of the ball. And um, Lincoln Riley's lost the national championship a couple times before because he didn't have a defense that could catch up and it's not any better now. And it's, it's really sad to see because you like a lot of these other teams that went heavy in the portal to fix their defense were able to do it. And, USC has just been a swing and a miss after a swing and a miss on that side of the ball. So um, I think you also have to look a little internally at how uh, USC manages its uh, recruiting. Yeah, Hummer, they got they got to go to um, South Bend and play Notre Dame, who lost to Louisville, which Notre Dame, they easily have the toughest schedule in football to this point. I mean, it's been an absolute gauntlet for those guys. I know they didn't expect Louisville to be that good and Duke to be that good, even though they got the dub. But what did you see for the Fighting Irish in that game against Louisville? I saw a team that really struggles. Um to push the ball downfield with its weapons on the outside. Um, you went and got Sam Hartman. You filled that hole. Like, I don't think this is a Sam Hartman problem necessarily, although he did throw three turnovers. I think he was forcing the issue quite a bit. And Sam Hartman has had times in his career where he's guilty of doing so and has too many mistakes. But I just don't think Notre Dame has difference makers on the outside. Um, they don't have anybody that I would consider a number one or even a number two on a really good team in college football. And I think that's, that's really hurting them right now. And when Notre Dame can't run the ball, like you expect them to, I think they only averaged about 2.4 yards per carry on Saturday against Louisville. It's a, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, That Notre Dame defense is very good, but you can't ask them to be on the field all game long, like they were on Saturday and keep an offense like Louisville's in check. And right now, Notre Dame doesn't have the offensive pieces of the firepower to be a legitimate uh, college football playoff contender. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be, that's, that's going to be a shootout. It should be, but maybe USC can outscore them. All right, Hummer. We'll, we can't gloss over the, uh, the Red River shootout. You got to get your thoughts on that one. Uh, OU wins at 34-30. Burt Auburn goes three of three kicking. Nails the 47-yarder with 117 left. Uh, but the defense can't hold the lead. Texas can't make a yard on first and goal from the one. Uh, Quinn Ewers, I mean, it was crazy. Quinn Ewers ended up Bouncing back from the turnovers, 346 yards passing, school record, 19 straight completions, 100-yard rusher and Jonathan Brooks, two 100-yard receivers. But it's not enough, Hummer. Yeah, I mean, sometimes college football is literally a game of inches, and we saw that on Saturday with Xavier Worthy's posterior landing on the wrong side of the goal line. Is basically what that game came down to. And I, I think 
in a game like that, you just really can't afford to make mistakes. And unfortunately for Texas as well as Quinn Ewers played in the second half, as you mentioned, the way he rebounded, uh, there were two, the first interception particularly was really bad. Um, there were two ill-timed interceptions in the first half. And then Texas' inability to punch the ball in on the goal line uh, was really the bugaboo of the game for Texas. It's been a quiet program for this team all season long. They were below average in the red zone. And we got the largest possible illustration of that on Saturday when four straight plays, Texas needed one yard and was able to get it. And that's literally the difference between Texas being 6-0 and Texas being 5-1. and and now Oklahoma has the inside track in the Big 12, and Texas is going to have to be perfect the rest of the way if it hopes to reach its college football playoff goals for the year. Okay, yeah. real quick on this. West Virginia is undefeated. They've beaten Tech and TCU already. Is it laughable to talk about West Virginia as a roadblock? Texas doesn't play them, but looking at the rest of the Big 12, does anyone scare you? No. Uh I mean, you might have been a little bit worried if you were Texas about TCU and Texas Tech near the end of the schedule, but both of those teams are already onto their backup quarterbacks, and TCU's quarterback situation is particularly dire uh, right now. Kansas State, maybe. Um, that's a good Kansas State team, but I think Texas is going to be – I would have to look at the schedule, but I would imagine Texas is a seven-plus point favorite in every single game the rest of the way, at least, with the only exception potentially being that TCU game. but. I don't even know about that TCU game. I think they'll be a double-digit favorite there um, because of that quarterback play. So with Kansas State being at home, no. like Nobody on Texas' schedule really scares scares me if I'm Texas. Um, I'd be a little worried about the Tech game over the end of the year. But no, I think this is an Oklahoma and Texas race in the Big 12. I think West Virginia is a really fun story, but they really don't move the ball through the air. Um, their quarterback situation is messy. They've had a ton of injuries on the defensive side of the ball already. Uh, multiple starters out for an extended period of time. And even though their schedule is really, really easy, West Virginia drew all four new big 12 teams this year, I believe. Um, I don't really see a path for West Virginia cutting off Texas in that race. So I think there's a world Texas could lose another game and still make the big 12 um, championship. But I think this Texas team at least has higher goals in 2023. Now, Homer is Kansas state really a good team. Cause what I saw in Stillwater told me otherwise, Mike Gundy doing handstands and shit. Like will Howard three interceptions. What's going on in Manhattan? Yeah. Mike Gundy looks like he's done a keg stand a time or two. Before. That's <laughs> for sure. uh, but uh, I think Kansas state is a good team, but I think Kansas state is a team built on ball control football and not making mistakes and out kind of playing your opponent because they're obviously not more talented than most teams in the big 12. You could just look at their roster and see that they develop well, but their actual like on paper talent is not as good as everybody else. And when your quarterback plays as badly as Will Howard did on Saturday night, throwing interceptions, I think Kansas state's vulnerable to any team in the big 12, but I would expect that to be the exception for Kansas state. Instead of the rule, you're not going to see Kansas state make that many mistakes in the game very frequently. So I, I do think Kansas State's a good team. Do I think Kansas State's a great team? No, I do not. And I think the Big 12 only really has two great teams right now, and that's Texas and Oklahoma. That's not to say Kansas State can't come into Austin and upset Texas. It absolutely can. But I think the deck stack against Kansas State in that situation. You think uh, Dylan Gabriel um, changed some opinions about Dylan Gabriel in that game? Is he a Heisman candidate? I mean, your thoughts. 
I think he has to be a Heisman candidate, first of all. I mean, you look at his numbers, and his numbers, I will say, are slightly inflated just because of the system he plays in. But everybody's system dependent. Like, Quinn Ewers is one of the best player callers in the country. Caleb Williams has one of the best quarterback developers in the country. Um, Jordan Travis is one of the best play callers in the country calling plays for him. You can go down the line. Michael Penix is in an offense that just puts up silly stats and has for a long time. So everybody benefits from their system. So Dylan Gabriel is doing the most with his opportunity. And yeah, he should absolutely be in the Heisman Trophy race. I I sometimes forget how fast and how athletic Dylan Gabriel can be when he needs to be. And we saw that on full display Saturday. He changed the game with his legs. And if Dylan Gabriel is going to play that way the rest of the year, I think I don't I wouldn't put Oklahoma in the same category as Michigan or Georgia or maybe even Ohio State. But Oklahoma is certainly a college football playoff contender. And Dylan Gabriel has every right to be in the Heisman conversation after the way he played. Hummer, as long as you've been covering college football, watching college football, have you seen anything as sad as what Mario Cristobal and the Miami Hurricanes put out there in that last minute of the game against those Georgia Tech guys? You know, I thought I hadn't seen it. And then I looked on Twitter and saw that Mario Cristobal did the exact same thing in 2019. (laughs) Um, He went to – he didn't take a knee there. His running back fumbled. They went to overtime and he lost to Stanford. So not only have I seen it before, I saw it from the same guy. It's really, truly incredible. Um, the amount of text I got that from, got text I got about that play from people in the coaching industry was crazy. Um, it is malpractice as a coach to have that happen to you. And don't get me wrong. Everybody makes mistakes. Like I make mistakes in my job. Everybody's going to be guilty of doing something dumb in their job. But it is the, I just, it is the easiest play in the world in football. That is the play you work all game to earn. You earn the right to take a knee. I feel proud in Madden when I get to take a knee. And <laughs> I feel pride because I, I put it to them that day and it's like rubbing it in their face. And Mario Cristobal, for some reason, wanted to make a statement to run the ball in Georgia Tech instead of just taking the victory when it was there. It's it's absurd. And Frankly, it could cost Miami a spot in the ACC championship game. They now have a loss in ACC play. This is a good Miami team. Like, it's just I I I can't come up with the words to describe how awful that was on Saturday night. Wow, unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean, I still and kudos to Haynes King, the former A and M quarterback, for going seventy five yards in two plays to to punish that mistake by by Cristobal, but. Speaking of Oregon, Hummer, this is the game of the year in the Pac-12 this week. Oregon and Washington, they're going to play this in Seattle, 2.30 on ABC. How do you see this one playing out? I I would personally pick uh, Oregon in this game. I think they're the more complete team with the slightly better roster, but given the game is happening in Seattle and given that I really don't have any empirical evidence at the empirical evidence at this point saying that Oregon's past defense is better. Oregon has dominated everybody it's played this year, but it hasn't really played anybody outside of Colorado. And that Colorado team was obviously wounded limping into that game. No Travis Hunter, um, total mismatch along the lines of scrimmage. Um, and we did see, like, we did see Texas Tech move the ball against Oregon. So that that does give me some pause. That was an Oregon secondary that was really bad a season ago. But I think top to bottom roster wise, Oregon is the better team. 
I do wonder how that Oregon secondary has holds up. As I said, Washington's got the best wide receiver trio in the country, in my opinion. So that's going to be a difference in this game. But I think I would give Oregon the slight edge in that game. Although I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be one of the games of the year. I think it's going to be a total toss up and I think it's going to be a shootout throughout. It should be a lot of fun, but I do, I do like the ducks a little bit going into this game, at least by the smallest of margins. Hummer, what'd you think of that game at College Station this past weekend? Those Aggies, they fought hard and they made it interesting, but Nick Saban, uh, Crimson Tide, they just pulled it off at the end and Jalen Murrow, while getting tackled on the ground, finds McCullen to get that first down to ice the game. Big time win for the Crimson Tide. What'd you think of it? I think Jimbo Fisher should be lucky Mario Cristobal did what he did that night because Jimbo Fisher managed that game in just a terrible, terrible fashion. I think Jimbo Fisher managed that game to lose. Um, if you're going to go out and hire Bobby Petrino to be your offensive coordinator, if you're going to go out and trust your quarterback, even if it's Max Johnson as a backup, you need to put the foot down against Texas A&M. And Jimbo Fisher consistently took his foot off the gas. Um, if you go back, I think Texas A&M took a knee essentially at the end of the first half with two timeouts in their pocket up 17-10. They had the opportunity to put their foot down there. They punted from Alabama's 45-yard line and only gained a net 20 yards on fourth and one uh, in a situation where they had the opportunity to continue a lead against Alabama in the second half. They punted on fourth and four from the 45-yard line in the second half while down to Alabama. Like, there were just, like, moments in that game. Texas A&M could have trusted its offense, could have trusted Bobby Petrino to have the right play call on there. And instead, Jimbo Fisher was too conservative and he punted the football. And if I'm Texas A&M fans, I'm upset at Jimbo Fisher for that. You had an opportunity to beat Alabama. You had an opportunity to win one of the few games on your schedule that matters every year. And Jimbo Fisher played conservative. So that that's what I thought coming out of that game. I think A&M had a team capable of beating Alabama, and they just didn't take advantage of it in the way they should have. Yeah, Jalen Milrow looking, uh, looking better at quarterback Alabama uh, starting to, to put it together. That, yeah, that, uh, Texas fans have to be thrilled because Alabama looks like it can win the West, and that's going to be a good win on the schedule all year for Alabama, or all year for Texas. Yeah, what? Um, who's the best team in the country, Hummer? Oh, I think it's Michigan. Um, they're just crushing people right now, and um, I'm sure people will say they haven't played anybody, but um, I think. I saw a stat today from Max Olson, our old uh, colleague in Austin, or at least our old uh, beat reporter fellow in Austin, that said Michigan has not allowed a single team to have a first and goal situation this year because not a single team has been within the 10-yard line against Michigan defensively this season. That's how dominant they've been on that side of the ball. And that offense is clicking too with J.J. McCarthy. They haven't really had to do anything. But I'm looking at Michigan's results this year. It's 33 over East Carolina, 35-7 to over UNLV. 31 to six over Bowling Green. And those are games that Michigan took the foot off the gas. Like they didn't even try. Like they were going as slow as possible. They were just trying to get out of it healthy. 31 seven against Rutgers, 45 seven against Nebraska, 52 10 against Minnesota. They are beating decent Big Ten teams and making it look easy. And I think this Michigan team is loaded. I think they could have 10 to 15 draft picks off this unit. I think Michigan's going to win the Big Ten again. And I think Michigan's the best team in the country. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, they look good. They look good. That's why Texas can't have any mess-ups because two teams could easily make it in the Big Ten to the college football playoff. But um, Yeah, Hummer, how do you – I mean, I hear different people say uh, we're going to have a two-loss team 
What do you think the college football playoff ends up being? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there were two Big Ten teams this year. I think the Pac-12 is going to eat itself. Um, I have a hard time. If a one-loss team gets out of the Pac-12, um, I think a one-loss team gets in. But I think it's going to there's going to be a difficult path to that. I think Georgia gets out of the SEC, and I think Florida State, if it, as long as it has one or fewer loss, gets out of the ACC. So really it comes down to whether Texas and Oklahoma can get through the Big 12 with one loss. And if they don't, or a Pac-12 team doesn't, I think the Big 10 is going to get two. I think it'll get the winner. And then whoever, I think Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan, whoever ends up at 11-1 at the end of the regular season will get in two, um, just because I think those three teams garner that much respect. So um, the field the field is narrowing a lot. Um, I think there's two teams in the Big 12, really one or two teams in the ACC, and I think it's really just Florida State. No offense to Mac Browns, North Carolina Tar Heels. It's the three teams in the Big Ten East. It's a couple teams in the Pac-12, and it's Georgia. And maybe, maybe Alabama if things break right. That's it. Um, so I think the Big Ten's in a really good position right now. Yeah. Hummer, one of the funniest things I saw this past weekend was Mark Stoops after they got blown out by Georgia. And I guess he's been hearing it from the fans and stuff. And he told the fans straight up, hey, I see they're giving money to the players over there at Georgia. How about y'all give us some money so I can get those types of players? And sorry, Mark, all that money's going to John Calipari. But yeah, Georgia, they look like they're finally looking like that team that could win it again. And Carson Beck, he's looking good right now. Yeah, I mean, that was an interesting Georgia game. Um, I don't – it's hard to take a lot from it for me because we haven't seen Georgia do it consistently. But if Carson Beck can play that way all year, Georgia's going to go back to the college football playoff and Georgia could win a third straight national championship. Uh, Carson Beck was just missing throws early in the season. That defense is good, but it's not as great as it's been the last two years. So what they really need is that offense to at least kind of make up for some of that. And Carson Beck took a huge step in doing so against a good Kentucky team. Um, I'm really encouraged by what I saw. If I was a Georgia fan, I'd be really encouraged by what I saw Saturday. I thought they really established a pretty deep group of receivers and it helps that they're healthier now. Obviously Brock Bowers, I think pound for pound might be the best player in the country, not named Caleb Williams. He's that outstanding. Um, but they brought in a couple of receivers from the transfer portal, Dominic Lovett from Missouri, Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi state who were supposed to make an impact. They've been really quiet earlier this season. You saw both of them pop up on Saturday, getting Lad McConkey back healthy soon would be very helpful for Georgia. I think, I think Georgia's going to be fine. I just think if there was, Something I'd worry about with Georgia, it's that their defensive line isn't quite as deep as it's been in years past. Um, I don't think they're quite as good up front as they've been in years past. And their linebacker group, which I thought was going to be excellent, has been kind of shaky as well. But um, I still think they're the class of the SEC, and they certainly made a statement on Saturday. Yeah. All right, so speaking of uh, Mario Cristobal and Mac Brown, they go head-to-head at 6.30 on ABC. Uh, it's in – chapel hill so how do you see that one playing out a lot of points um, a lot of points i think it's two very good offenses and two although miami's offense had some trouble with georgia tech this past week beyond just uh knowing when to take a knee um but a lot of points that north carolina defense is better than it's been in years past and i think that's something to watch mac brown's done a really good job recruiting talent on the defensive side of the ball it just hasn't really worked out um, it's starting to kind of show some fruit 
this season. I think that'll be helpful. But more than anything, I'm I'm curious how that Drake made has Walker combination will work in week two. I think he had six catches his first week back after being cleared in waivers. And if Tez Walker's there and Drake May's firing all, on all cylinders, North Carolina is going to be extremely difficult to beat. That offense is really, really good. Good offensive line, good run game. One of the best tight ends in the country, quietly, in addition to that receiving group. So um, I think Mac Brown's got his best team since <laughs> it might be Texas the best team since 2009, and it might be Mac Brown's best team since 2009, to be frank. Um, kind of interesting how that works. Yeah. Well, he's got Gene Chizik running the running the defense. He's trying to he's trying to put the band back together. <laughs> I will I will say, like talking to people in the industry, that was a hire that was derided. Um, it didn't get a lot of compliments talking to people around the sport, but uh, Gene Chizik coming back to college football has been really good. That North Carolina defense is much better than it's been in a while, and they haven't even really been that healthy. They lost their starting one of their starting cornerbacks like before the season even started, and that group has been better than it's been in North uh, Mac Brown's entire North Carolina tenure, at least the second time around. So credit Gene Chizik. He's been really good. Yeah. Hummer, do you think that people are disrespecting Penn state? Cause I watched them and they look really good. James Franklin. I love him as a coach. I just love the demeanor that he has with his ball club and taking over for paternal and all that crap that he went through when he was there. You know, I think that's huge, but I just think, you know, with Michigan and Ohio state always being there, this Penn state team, they're not getting the respect they deserve. Yeah, I think I'm of two minds with Penn State. Um, they have a lot of pieces that you look for in a national title contender. They have the best, at least the best edge rushers in the country, at least the most productive. They lead the FBS in pressure rate. They have an elite set of cornerbacks. They have two of the best running backs in the country. Like There's a ton of pieces that you really like. They have great linebackers. I worry about Penn State because they, they have a difficult time consistently moving the football. Um, Drew Alar, you thought would be a little bit better, but I think that's in large part due to an inconsistent offensive line. Um, you would think with the two running backs Penn State has, they would run the ball effectively, but they're just 71st nationally in yards per carry. I think they're very dependent on those two backs breaking off big plays. Um, they don't really have a high success rate rushing because they don't do a lot on most downs. That offensive line doesn't clear a lot of space. And Drew Aller also has a lot of pressure in his face frequently. That's not a problem for Penn State most weeks. Their defense is so dominant that I don't think it matters except for two weeks on the schedule. But when it comes to Ohio State and when it comes to Michigan, I do wonder how Penn State's going to stack up with that offensive line. Because if that offensive line struggles against those two teams, it's a much different story. So I'll be very curious to see how that Michigan game goes in a couple weeks. I think that's going to be the ultimate litmus test there. Obviously, if you hold up against Michigan, you can win a national championship. I'm just holding back some of my um, positivity with Penn State until I see a little bit more consistency on the offensive side of the ball, particularly from that line. October 21st, Penn State at Ohio State. That will tell us a lot. Are we still, is the Big Ten still doing divisions like like, yeah, last year, the divisions, that's why Iowa uh, scoring 10 points a game is still very relevant because Iowa could still win the Big this Ten. This is unbelievable. Yes. You yeah. got three top 10 teams, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and they're fighting it out for the right to club a baby seal from the West Division of the Big Ten. 
You know, it kind of like if you're a Big Ten uh, East team, I would say it kind of works in your favor sometimes. Like, yeah. obviously, you want to play for a Big Ten championship, but we've seen Ohio State twice now not win their division and make the college football playoff. Sometimes, if you can sit at home for championship weekend and you're 11 and one and you have a strong resume outside of one notable loss, like it can work in your favor in this four team era. Um, but I agree. I, you know what team I actually feel really bad for? I feel bad for Maryland and I feel bad for Rutgers. Those two teams just get their club, their face beaten by a giant club every year, three weeks out of the year. And if they were in the Big Ten West, like they could, I legitimately think if Rutgers was in the Big Ten West this year, they might not win it, but they'd be competitive. And I think Maryland could certainly win the Big Ten West. So uh, next year when USC, Washington, uh, UCLA, and Oregon, those classic Big Ten teams come into the conference, I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of people in the East celebrating. Yeah. You mentioned that, Hummer, but that might end up screwing Texas. Having that team that in the East gets second with one loss, that might end up screwing Texas in the long run, even if they win the Big 12 championship. It could. I mean, I I have a hard time seeing – like, let's say, let's say Texas runs the table and they beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. I have a hard time seeing a non-conference champion beat out Texas in that scenario because Texas obviously lost very close to Oklahoma the first time. They would avenge that thing and they would still they would avenge that loss and they would still have the Alabama win on their resume in addition to running the table in the Big 12. So I don't think Texas is in danger in that way. But let's say Texas drops another game um, and wins the Big 12 anyway. Goes what what would that be? Eleven and two. Um, let's say they lose close to Kansas State. They beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. Texas very much would be in danger of losing their spot to a one-loss uh, Big Ten team in that scenario, and I, I think the Big Ten team would get in. Um, so yeah, it could it could definitely mess with Texas uh, the way that Big Ten East, uh, uh, what is that triumvirate works? Is that the right yeah. word there? Like that yeah. round robin? Yeah, like all of those words. Um, it could it could definitely have an effect on Texas's path to the playoff. Who's the best G five team? Is it Wyoming? I think you could argue it's Wyoming. I think it, right now I would say it's Wyoming, James Madison, um, or the two teams I'd look at the most. Um, Wyoming obviously has the best win of that group. They did lose to Texas, but they lost to Texas with their backup quarterback, and that was a game well into the fourth quarter. So, yeah, I think you could say Wyoming, um, especially with what they just did over the weekend to Fresno State, which is an excellent football team. Uh, but James Madison is also really good. But, yeah, I, I would say Texas – beat one of the two best G5 teams in the country so far. Yeah. I, I actually, I take that back. I shouldn't dismiss Tulane and I shouldn't dismiss SMU. I think, I think if Wyoming, SMU and Tulane played, I'd probably pick SMU and Tulane uh, to win both of those games. But I think Wyoming is one of the best G5 teams in the country. Let's put it that way. Yeah. That, that win's going to look better and better as the season goes on. They'll, they'll win the mountain West. I mean, for whatever that's worth, kids. I think but. it's. I think it. I think it matters. Like you're not. You're not beating Alabama in two cupcakes. You're beating Alabama, and a really good Wyoming team and a Rice team that's better than it's been in a while too. So it's not like Texas's non-conference schedule is soft. What is Oregon State going to do? They just like remodeled their stadium. They're paying John Smith a fortune, and if they don't have the Pac-12 money, are they going to? like have to take out loans to finance all that? I, I think that's loans are definitely on the table. Um, I think 
I think a lot of it hinges on if the Pac-12, like just the brand itself, those two teams can keep their autonomy status for another year or two. Um, autonomy status means more money slowing your coffers over at least the short term. It wouldn't be a long-term solution, but it would give Oregon State and Washington State some breathing room. I think the most likely scenario, at least right now, is that they end up in the Mountain West and some kind of reformed league. Um, I don't anticipate the Americans stepping in to help them, but like, you never know, like there's part of me. And I think it's a small possibility that those two teams could just hold serve because we're not close to done with conference realignment. We're going to have other rounds of it in the next year, next year, three. Um, I don't think the conferences of today are anything close to the conferences of 10 years from now. And I, I don't, I would be lying if I said I knew exactly how they were going to shake out, but um I think Washington State and Oregon State are in a terrible spot, but they they might have more options in the future, depending on how things break, just because of the uh, incredibly influx nature that is college football right now. Hummer, we love it, man. We love it every week. We love the conversation. It's uh, it's an around the college football world Tuesday with Chris Hummer. We appreciate you, man. Thanks for taking some time. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Hummer. Appreciate you, man. Chris Hummer dropping bombs michigan is the best team in college football zay look you look a little skeptical no no uh, i'm with that i'm with that i just don't like it you know I, michigan losing that game to tcu last year that was a really good game to get to the championship game and i know they're pissed off from that and they're bringing back or they brought back excuse me a lot of guys from that team and yeah they've been on it but I do think their schedule is a little lighter than others, and they'll show me something when, you know, they play the Buckeyes for the last game of the season and when they play Penn State in these upcoming weeks. But, yeah, if all those teams could beat each other at least once, Penn State beats Ohio State, Ohio State beats Michigan, Michigan beats Penn State, I'd, I'd love that. That'd be the perfect scenario. I'd love that. That'd be, that'd be terrific. I need that. I don't think it's going to happen. I could see Michigan being both those teams, but that'd be perfect for Texas if they went out too with beating Alabama. And, you know, you and Chris just mentioned Wyoming being one of the best G5 teams too. I think that would look better on the committee trying to put them in the CFP. But we'll see a lot of football to be played. And all you could do is face who's in front of you each Saturday and handle your business there. Can't get too far ahead even though yeah. we'd like to here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, <clears throat> tell you what. Listen, you need uh, you need to, to put a smile on your face worth smiling about. You need to go see our friend, Dr. Greg Eckert, Austin's dentist, Dr. Eckert, U-E-C-K-E-R-T. We call him Dr. U, you know what I'm saying? Um, but why not go to a dentist you enjoy going and seeing and talking to um, Dr. Eckert's staff is amazing. They make it fun and friendly. And that's not typically what you hear about going to the dentist. So, um, you know, whether you just need a checkup or some advanced dentistry, you've got, uh, you've got, um, Dr. Eckert, ready for you. Just give him a call, 512-345-3166. Or check him out online at dr.uecker.com. 
Dr. Yu is also doing great work with Brain Vault, the, the patented mouth guard proven to reduce um, the possibility of concussion. Uh, so if you've got an athlete in the family, then just go to brainvault.com and make an appointment. Zay, I'm almost afraid to ask if my man Perze Hilton has uh, done any more homework on the social media of a certain Texas football player. Oh, you're muted. My bad. Yeah, he's clean. Quinn, but yours is good. He's right. good. Nothing happened. I, right. Yeah. Everybody can happened. rest easy. Yeah, everybody could be cool. Everybody could chill out. He, he's good. Nothing crazy. So He wasn't out busting uh, curfew. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's it? That's it, man. Like, That's I, it. You know, they just played bad. <laughs> you know that's they just played bad it's all those uncharacteristic things that we haven't seen from the longhorns i mean we've seen them at different times but you would you would think that you'd be a little bit more buttoned up you know as a whole in that type of game and you would think that you'd be able to force more turnovers against Oklahoma, a team that up to this point, those 5-0, and five games that they won before they played Texas, just weren't proven to us, you know? Now they're proven. And I mentioned earlier in the show that Andrew Anthony, him being out for the year, they're really going to be tested now because that guy was a stud for them coming from Michigan. But still, like, I think they're going to win out. I think when they have that matchup against Neil Brown, the Mountaineers, they're going to handle that. And, yeah, you know, asking Chris Hummer about Dylan Gabriel being in the mix of the Heisman, he better be. I mean, that dude, as much as I hate to say it, that dude's a warrior. That dude is a dog. He got that dog in him. And, you know, they're comparing him to Tua. He got that little Mariota in him. He's just a typical Hawaiian dude. Like, it doesn't – he's just cool. He's just cool with it. And I saw people on social media um, – you know, our girl, Rocky, our girl, excuse me, Fire the Cannon, Rocky and Megan, they talked about maybe putting the spy on Dylan Gabriel. I don't know, but, hey, I think it caught everyone off guard how athletic that guy is. Like, we saw Hummer mention it, like, that dude has some wheels. And that's what, like, when you look at him, you're like, oh, this dude ain't going to hit us for a 40-yarder with his legs. Shit. Okay. Give him them lanes then. Give him them lanes and watch what he do with it. And he was getting the horns up all game just with those deflating first downs and using his legs to make more plays for himself in that offense. So, yeah, I I, I got to tip my hat to Dylan Gabriel again on this Tuesday, even though we did it on Saturday till now. Like, that guy, he can play some football, and he might not be the Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, or Jalen Hurts that we've seen in recent years in that game, but he's pretty damn close. <laughs> pretty damn close, and that sucks, but, hey, that's what it is. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel, long run of 44 yards. That uh, that hurt. They kept the running backs in check 
Uh, Tawi Walker, Marcus Major only averaged three yards a carry, but Dylan Gabriel, crazy legs, Gabriel, that MFR, <laughs> he made he made him pay. Yeah. He made him pay. Now we got to see. Someone asked earlier, how disappointed are you in PK? And I just. I just thought they would play a little tighter coverage um, throughout, but especially on that last drive. And I get you don't want to give up the the home run, but man, you got to play the way you play. Look at yeah. this. Look at that spacing. Y'all see Malik Muhammad down there. Bottom of the screen there. Bottom of the screen. That is way too far. That's what we <laughs> That that's is a, insane. That's not you a cushion. That. That's a mattress. <laughs> I mean, what are you thinking? It's laughable at this point. Like, as much as I hate it, and, you know, he's a freshman, even though he's a big-time player and has had a very good freshman year thus far, you just see stuff like that, and it's like, man, we you can't be that timid. In this situation, you gotta trust that technique, you gotta trust that training, you gotta trust that film, all the work that you put in and say, Hey, if they beat us, they're gonna beat us playing straight up. We're not gonna give them that mattress-like cushion, you know, temperpedic type cushion. We ain't gonna give them that. We're gonna play them straight up five, maybe seven yards at best. And we're gonna trust this training, man. You know. Hey. For real. Oh, what can you do? What can that one hurts. Do? That one hurts. Um, I'll tell you what doesn't hurt, and that is getting that big screen, that surround sound, the new lighting, the electronic shades from Audio Visual Consultations. Our man Tom McKay has got it all figured out. From the free consultation to installation. Tom and his crew bring everything to you. All you have to do is call 255-8678. And you are going to be just impressed. You're busy. You got things to do. So it's time. It's time to set up that man cave or media room. Um, maybe you want to surprise the missus with a little remodel, little new lighting, whatever it is. You just... Call 255-8678. Let Tom and his crew bring everything to you. And that's it. That's all you got to do. It's amazing. So audio visual consultations, avconsultations.com, 255-8678. Um, all right, Zay. So how about, uh, did you watch the end of this Braves-Phillies game? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Come on, Bryce Harper. Come on, man. He just had a little too much faith in that ball being mishandled. Yeah, that was a great play. Up. That was a great play. And great comeback by the Braves, too. I thought they were done. I thought they were going to have to go back to Philly down 0-2. And... Yeah, they had a little rally there late, and 
you know, came up with the runs. And we saw we saw at the end of the game, Bryce Harper, you're right, just too much faith in those legs. And they got that outfield double play to end the game. So, yeah, going 1-1 back to Philly, which me and Kevin Dunn, we talked about it last week when you were up in Dallas on Friday. You know, that Philly atmosphere is bonkers. Like those, we know how the Philly fans are, but that atmosphere and that baseball stadium is bananas. And if you don't focus the Braves coming in, which they know they played there before, that's the same division, but in the playoffs, it's different. It's a lot different. And shoots. Clayton Kershaw, one of the best pitchers to ever play the game. And he struggles in the playoffs, always has. Struggled in game one against the Diamondbacks a few nights ago. Got lit up. Had to take him out. Roberts had to take him out in the first inning chip. Certain guys just don't have it during this time of the year. So you're talking about the hardest professional game out there, Major League Baseball, and you got to deal with those rabid-ass fans. Yeah, I can't wait for that game. Like, baseball's been good. Like, these four – series they've been really good like and wags i'm sorry man down 0-2 losing both games at home that's tough bro that, that's tough but this might be the rangers year i'll tell you what man we had uh lance taylor come on the show thursday and he said watch out for the phillies they were up 4-1 in that game last night and let it get away as a tough one but we'll see. They they seem to be that that team you can't kill. So let's see what they do in Atlanta. Yeah. Who knows? They got some dudes, man. Philadelphia, like Schrober, him batting first, tough. Trey Turner, who was on a you know slump, like he's one of the fastest players in the game, and he led the league in batting average one year, so he could raid and think about Bohm and Relamuto and all those guys and Harper. Like they're tough. They're a tough squad. They're a tough squad with a lot of confidence and a lot of baseball played, you know. So, yeah, that's they had it, but I could see them regrouping and taking care of business, even though the Braves are a really good team also. Um, okay, don't look now, but this game I'm going to this weekend, Lions at the Buccaneers, that's a battle of two first-place teams, Zay. Come on. Yeah, Baker Mayfield and the Bucks. Yo, talk about somebody that's confident. Baker Mayfield, he was laughing and horns down in all weekend long at the State Fair at the Cotton Bowl. Like, just makes me sick. He's he's riding this high. I'm I, I, I feel him. He's an Austin Knight, so that a little part of me messes with Baker. A little part of me says, you know, Baker, you're kind of my dude just because we're from the same city and that's just a bond that you can't break. But him being a Sooner, how much he hates the horns, that just overtakes that completely. Uh, him and Bob Suits just had a podcast interview. Which is, it's just too much. So I think Baker needs to be brought back down to earth this weekend by your Detroit Lions. Like, I need that because – it's just been, you know, it's it's been too good for Baker lately. It's been way too good. And he, you know, Chris Godwin, good player. Mike Evans, good player. But he needs to be brought back down to life. 
I'd appreciate that, especially from your Lions, who have been playing some good football themselves, even though Bryce Young threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen in my life to Aiden Hutchinson. Like, come on, Bryce. You better than that. You better than that, youngster. Come on, Why? man. Why can't we give Aiden Hutchinson credit for making an athletic play? It was. It was. You're right. We do need to give him math, uh, credit for that athletic-ass play. But, man, have you? he's right there, Bryce. He's right there. Like, you, you got to see him. You got to have some type of awareness there. Like, and that just goes to show how fast the game is from college to the NFL. Because I thought, you know, Bryce Young, he would obviously have his bumps in the road. But, woo, I know Carolina fans, they looking down at Houston and seeing what C.J. Stroud doing. They like, damn, we could have got him. And C.J. Stroud has the more NFL body to play quarterback than Bryce Young, who, you know, he's incredible in college, but still – does it translate to the NFL? It's still football, but it's two completely different games. This college football and the National Football League. Does it translate? And it's only been five games, so it's not fair to call Bryce Young a bust. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying with what C.J. Stroud is doing in Houston, I know Carolina fans are hurting. I know they hurt. Well, Let's bring on our uh, recruiting guru from Horns247.com, the one and only Hank South. Hank covered uh, Bryce Young, his recruitment at Alabama, probably covered C.J. Stroud as well. Hank, what do you make of these two so far? And obviously a lot depends on what you have around you. Yeah. Um, but C.J. Stroud looking good so far for the Texans. Yeah, he's looking great. Um, I think, you know, he's got, you know, Bryce Young has weapons. I, I think they're probably kicking themselves for trading DJ Moore um, after what he's been doing on the Bears. You know, he probably would have been a big help uh, for Bryce. But, you know, Adam Thielen seems like he's been a pretty good, reliable target for him. Tommy Trimble has played well. I mean, but like you said, you got to have help keeping you upright. Um, but, yeah, you mean, I mean, you can't say enough about CJ Stroud put into that situation. You know, I, I love D'Amico Ryans. I think he's an awesome coach. I think he's, he's obviously got, got it going in the right direction in Houston. Um, you know, they got a pretty good core of, uh, of talent there. So, you know, I, I thought Bryce would be having a little bit more success by now, but um, you know, I think what Peyton Manning started his rookie year, what, like three wins. So, you know, you oh, can't, yeah. yeah, we all rushed to judge them in their first year. I mean, I think Bryce will be fine. He's got the makeup of a, of a pro. And I think he'll eventually, you know, show off that number one pick and, and why they wanted him. Yeah. All right, Hank, let's, let's break it down. What, what was the damage after the 34 uh, 30 loss to Oklahoma in terms of the re recruit reaction or, you you tell us was it yeah. not as bad as maybe Longhorn fans are worried about? Yeah, no, th this isn't the kind of win or uh, sorry, kind of loss that that's going to to negatively impact Texas. Uh, you know that atmosphere. I had people texting me prior to kickoff, like in amazement. They like they had never seen an atmosphere like that. Um, people watching the game, people at the game. Um, it, it you were there. It was electric, um, and, and you know that kind of environment coupled with that kind of game, Texas lost the game in the final minute. It wasn't like they, they rolled over. It wasn't like they got beat 49 to zero like Oklahoma did the year before. 
Um, and, and so, you know, that's not going to negatively impact things. You know, we saw a lot of good things from Texas. Uh, you know, obviously you wrote about Quinn and, you know, the, how he responded to uh, the early turnovers and, you know, he battled back. Texas was right there in position to win the game. Um, you know, that last last defensive series, I think they would have wanted to make some adjustments. You know, the the four uh, plays at the goal line trying to get in the end zone, I think Sark would have made some changes probably. But, um, you know, I, I think kids, you know, they, they saw two teams battling it out. Um, it's not going to negatively impact Texas. It could positively impact Oklahoma, you know, people taking notice more of them. Uh, maybe they thought they weren't so sure about them and, and they showed up and, and played a really good game. So I, I think it cer- could certainly help them. But in terms of negatively impacting this 2024 class or even, you know, the recruits in attendance and or beyond, I, I think it, it only helps them. I, I think they saw an exciting environment they could potentially be part of one day. Yeah, Hank, looking back at the Red River shootout, one thing that shocked a lot of us was the line of scrimmage. We thought Texas on both sides would win that matchup, and they lost that matchup on Saturday. And I know Connor Robinson being the third string center coming in doesn't help anybody, but how shocked were you to see Oklahoma's defensive line man up like that, especially on that goal line play that you just mentioned, just four straight stops by the biggest moments of the game, and then off Offensively, Dylan Gabriel being able to use his legs, getting over 100 yards on the ground. Yeah, I was really surprised. Um, you know, that, that Texas defensive line has been just one of the strengths all season. It's They've been really fun to watch, um, you know, just dominating opponent after opponent. Uh, and Oklahoma came to play. And, and again, on that goal line series, you know, trying to punch it in. What, what Sweat and uh, and Byron Murphy were in there blocking and, and they, they, they couldn't couldn't get in. It was, it was kind of shocking to see. Um, so, you know, that, that's something I'm sure that they can use as kind of a chip on their shoulder. Um, I know one recruit I was talking to, I think it was Melvin Hills, who's committed to Texas, uh, defensive lineman. He was talking about how, you know, when we saw it was a much different game, but that SEC championship a couple of years ago, when, uh, when Georgia lost to Alabama and really just got bullied on both sides, uh, on both lines of scrimmage. And that was kind of, you know, that was Georgia's strength, um, at that point in the season, they get bullied, manhandled by Alabama. They meet him again in the national championship game month and a half later um, or a month later. And it was a different story. That was where they kind of won the game fourth quarter. They were able to really, um, you know, dominate and and, and affect Bryce Young. So um, certainly I think that's that's an area Texas will 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 address. And they they have the guys they you know, those guys are going to respond, I'm sure. Um, And maybe we'll see a different story, um, you know, come December if Texas is able to to see them again. uh, Jerry World. Hank, Horns fans need good news. They got two weeks to stew in this loss. Um, you got any good news for them? Yeah, you know, I, this is going to be a big recruiting week. Um, you know, the staff has the week to to, to focus on uh, on the recruiting trail. We're going to see, you know, the entirety of the coaching staff out on the road um, at games this weekend, uh, Thursday, Friday. You know, they're, they're going to go, um, you know, make appearances, see guys. Um, make sure, you know, that if they haven't talked to somebody in a while that they're, they're going to be talking to these guys. So, you know, that can always, you know, get things going. Um, but again, 2024, it's a, it's a situation where, you know, there's a handful of guys left, you know, they, they addressed a lot of their needs in the summer. And so, you know, from September through, you know, November, there really, you know, it's not a lot of commitments or anything like that. It's more just, you know, working to stay in it with these guys down the finish line. Cause you know, if you wait this long in recruiting, you know, most guys just kind of are like, Hey, why don't I just wait till the early signing period? Unless they're, you know, in jeopardy of losing a spot in the class. I think most guys kind of just, you know, like to play the, play the long game. And so, you know, guys like Kobe black, 
I think one bit of good news you could say there is we've confirmed he wasn't at his Texas A&M official visit this weekend, which was uh, that's a pretty big piece of news. Um, you know, there's word he was at the Red River shootout. I haven't confirmed that myself. I've seen it reported. Um, no reason to doubt it. I just he hasn't told me yes or no yet. Um, so, you know, that's something, um, especially in a, in a situation where it's probably Texas versus Texas A&M for Kobe Black. Um, Ryan Wingo, uh, I know Chris Jackson, the wide receivers coach, he's going to be up in uh, Missouri this weekend or on Friday night to see to see him. Um, I, I think Texas is still right there for him and probably in pole position. Um, and then, you know, there's some other recruitments we're, we're watching down the stretch. Solomon Williams, that's another one we're kind of seeing come down to Texas, Texas A&M, Alabama, Texas right there in it. Um, they're working on flipping DeAndre Carter from Auburn. That's one that that could potentially happen. So there, there's things in motion. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think they'll it, – it'll be uh, – you know, we're going to see a lot of more kids visit for the final three home games in DKR. And um, I, I think it'll be, uh, you know, pretty momentous uh, last, you know, eight weeks of the 2024 class leading into early signing day. Hank, let's talk about the current freshmen on this Texas team to where they were, where you saw them in high school last year, to what they've been doing now from Derek Williams to Anthony Hill, Malik Muhammad. You know, I'm probably missing someone, but you get the picture here. What have you seen in all of those guys thus far this season just on the transition from high school now playing some pretty big minutes on the college level? Yeah, you know, I was covering Alabama this time last year, and, and you know, I, I kind of look at it, you know, I, I know Alabama really wanted Anthony Hill. <laughs> they really wanted Malik Muhammad in their class. And, you know, uh, you know, when Nick Saban wants a defensive back, you know, you kind of have it, you're like, oh, this kid's probably pretty good. Um, and and I, I think, you know, we've obviously seen him perform really well um, in the minutes he's been been playing, obviously, with, you know, with Ryan Watts out. Um, Anthony Hill, I, I know leading into his freshman season, there was, you know, every, all the buzz last year was um, Harold Perkins at LSU, like that, what he could do at linebacker and, you know, affect the game. That's kind of, that's what Anthony Hill's doing now. I mean, he he is a star um, and, and he's really fun to watch. He's really kind of found his, found his rhythm and, uh, and has really excelled. He's, he's a fun one to watch. Um, beyond him, you know, Jonte Cook, we've seen little glimpses, you know, I know Sark said he wanted to, probably get him more minutes and maybe DeAndre Moore we'll see more of as well later in the season but we've seen how special Jonte Cook can can uh, can perform um I'm trying to think who who are some other freshmen that that we've really seen excel but uh, Derek Williams yeah Derek Williams he he's uh, he's shown shown out a lot obviously you know with, with some of the injuries back there in the secondary um so you know they're all playing up to that ranking you know when when you're a five-star guy you know it's pretty much expected it used to be you know, you get recruited, you're a star freshman, you need a year or two, you need a redshirt year. Now it's kind of, you know, what can you do for us right now? And and, and these kids are, are certainly doing a lot for, for Texas, particularly on defense. Do you see Anthony Hill pick up Tawi Walker and just body slam him? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was impressive. Yeah. That's a 200-pound yeah. man he just picked up. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Lightweight. Speaking of <laughs> Speaking of dunking, Hank, what's the latest on the uh, Texas basketball recruiting front? Yeah, we're starting to see some things go in motion. Um, last week we reported um, Josiah Mosley and Curtis Givens, two of Texas's basketball targets. One's a um, forward uh, from Stony Point up in Round Rock, and then uh, the other's a guard from, um, I think, Monteverde Academy. Anyway, they both committed elsewhere. We reported last week that's where things were trending. Obviously, you know, I see a local kid go elsewhere. You know, Texas did like him, but, you know, you're going up against programs like Villanova um, and some other heavyweight schools. You're, you're going to you know, 
sometimes those kids are going to go elsewhere. And he did. He's going to Villanova. Givens committed to LSU. So that kind of leaves uh, you know, a handful of guys we're still watching that, that can join Cam Scott in this 2024 class, one of which I just wrote about this morning, uh, Asa Newell, who's a five-star power forward. Um, another guy at Monte Verde Academy, which I don't know how those guys are going to lose a game this year. You know, they've got Asa Newell, uh, Liam McNeely, Curtis Givens, um, Cooper Flagg, you know, like the top five players in the country all on the same team. But um, Asa Newell was just off of an official visit to Georgia this past weekend, and he actually has ties to Georgia. His older brother plays um, plays for the Bulldogs, and he has a really, you know, close connection with that staff, obviously with the, the family connection. Um, so that's kind of been the team as the, you know, maybe the team he's leaning to, um, you know, for good reason. He, ha- he has, he has family bond or family ties there. Um, and there's been reports out that it's, just, it's Georgia versus Alabama for Ace and Newell. And I, I've, I've written, you know, that, 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 you know, talking to people at Texas, you know, it, it seems, you know, that Texas believes that Texas is still part of the race um, for Ace and Newell. And, and, you know, I talked to Ace's dad last night and he said um, they've actually cut off communication with everyone recruiting them because they're trying to make a decision. So, it looks like everyone's made their final recruiting pitch um, and, and, you know, a decision should come soon. So, you know, I would, I'd probably lean towards Georgia, um, but, I, you know, he he went to Texas for an official visit last month, had a really good time. It was um, while Texas was in Tuscaloosa, the football team. Um, so he got, I think he got to be part of that celebration when they got back um, at the fountain. Um, so, you know, they're in it. And then um, a couple more, uh, Nick Cody, a four-star power forward from Texas. Um, he's announcing, I think, Joe Tipton reported that he's announcing on November 2nd, which is about the timeline he gave us. That's going to be, you know, I think he has a top seven, maybe top six, but I think that's probably Texas Houston um, with Nick Cody. You know, those are probably the two teams I'm watching closest. And then uh, Trey Johnson, obviously the five-star combo guard originally from the DFW area. I think uh, he's playing his, his final year at um, link Academy. Um, So he, he's a guy that Texas has been pressing for. I think it's probably Texas Baylor battle there. Uh, but, the, you know, there's going to probably be like a four-man class. Um, so, you know, they got Cam Scott. We'll see who else they get. But I think the two names or the three names to watch right now are Newell, Cody, and Trey Johnson in terms of, uh, you know, the, the targets to watch closest. Yeah, Hank, even though we're in the middle of the football season, the orange and white game at Gregory Gym is next Tuesday. So basketball is coming right on up. How do you think this 2024 team is going to be? I know a lot of people have expectations of getting right back to the Elite Eight area, but that's very difficult to do. But Rodney Terry's done a hell of a job with this coaching staff, bringing in some high-quality guys that where you could probably get back to that point if you play some good basketball. What do you think this 2024 Horns basketball team is going to look like? Yeah, I think, you know, they've, they've got the pieces. Um, they're deep. You know, they added a lot of veteran experience from the transfer portal. They brought, they're able to get some guys back, obviously. Um, you know, Dylan Mitchell coming back. And, you know, I I, I think I, someone reported, you know, IT I Horton's been lighting it up in, in, in practice um, already from, from UCF. Um, so, you know, I haven't followed them as, as closely since switching over beats, but, um, you know, from what I've seen and, you know, obviously covering recruiting for this 2024 class, um, uh, guys are excited about them. They, they, a lot of people have followed that elite eight run should have been a final four run. Um, you know, that, that was still pretty wild, but, um, uh, I, I think, you know, they got the police they got the kind of the mixture of the veteran leadership that from the portal. And then, you know, that the talent they're bringing back from last year's roster and, you know, some of those guys in the 2024 class uh, from the prep level, Chris Johnson. So I, th- I think they could be a really talented team. You know, I, I think they'll contend for the Big 12 again and uh, could be another exciting year in Austin. Last thing, Hank, I, I saw in the stampede, you're already looking ahead to 2025. 
just some general thoughts on how the Longhorns football recruiting is shaping up for 25. Yeah. So Jordan Scruggs and I did a, a breakdown, um, kind of did a class projection or early class projection of the, on the offensive side of the ball. We'll obviously do a defensive side of the ball later, but um, you know, there, there is a lot of, a lot of talent out there and um, a lot of them were at the right over shootout, but um, no, we, we, uh, you, it's just a, it's a really deep class. Um, you know, I think you look at the wide receiver position, I think DeCorian Moore, the five-star wide receiver from Duncanville. Um, I don't think anybody's like a can't miss prospect. Cause you know, you can always, there's always another person. There's always the transfer portal, but DeCorian Moore, like if there was, he's like the closest to it. I feel like <laughs> the kid is insane. Um, he's committed to LSU right now, obviously, but Texas isn't, going to stop recruiting him um and i think texas is honestly in in an okay spot for him right now in terms of you know eventually maybe changing his mind teammates with colin simmons alex january the two 2024 commits from duncanville so um he was part of that that group we we put together um the running back i think the running back position to shard choice i think has another you know wealth of options at at his disposal you know guys like deandre ryden um uh jordan davison from matter day i think two guys that are probably the Two of the top three targets, Harlem Barry is another, but I think the two we put in the class were um, Ryden and uh, and Davison. Uh, KJ Lacey, obviously, mm-hmm. out of Saraland, he's been just lighting up the stat sheet this fall. He had seven touchdown passes last Friday night, and they're they're you know that's six A football in Alabama. They're the number one team in the state. Uh, he has Ryan Williams to throw to, so that makes things easier. But when you watch his you watch his games, he 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 spreads the ball around. You know that they're, they're he's a um, you know, he's a really talented prospect. And then offensive line, there's a lot of guys out there that, um, especially in that DFW area, there's, there's some, um, there's a lot of offensive tackles that are, that are highly ranked uh, that Texas is right there in the mix for. And then the tight end position, we'll see, you know, um, they, they've kind of started to press for this Emory Winston tight end from Georgia. He actually visited for the game uh, this past weekend as well. Um, but that, that's a spot, you, you know, you, you would expect Texas to really be in the mix for some, some elite tier t- tight ends when it, when it's all said and done with, you know, what they've done with Jatavian Sanders and, and, uh, you know, Gunnar Helm playing better as well. So, um, it should be a pretty strong class and, and, you know, especially, you know, if they can stamp, uh, you know, finish off this season with the expectations we've all had for them, um, you know, they could roll into that 2025 class with, with some momentum. Hank South horns, 24, com. Hank, appreciate it, man. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, right. Hank. Appreciate you, dog. There he is, Hank South. All right. Um, before we get to the chip shot, Zay, you want to tell everyone about the incredible folks at Covert BK? Oh, yes, sir. Shout out to Covert BK and the Covert Auto Group, the family-owned group of automotive dealerships in the greater Austin area for over a 100 years. And they've been committed to giving you just a high-quality selection of pre-owned and new vehicles. And the customer service is outstanding, and it will leave you very satisfied as a customer. So go visit that crew at Covert Bee Cave over at the 42 Acres and check out all of those beautiful, luxurious cars, man. Seven wonderful brands, GMC, Chrysler, Cadillac, Dodge, Buick, Ram, and Jeep. You will find what you want at Covert Bee Cave. If you want that two-door car, cool. If you want that big suburban-like car vehicle, big SUV-type 
vehicle, then cool, they got you there too. And if you want to visit it online and see what they got on the latest inventory and specials, go to covertbcave.com and you can find what you want. Shout out to all of the covert dealerships in the greater Austin area, but specifically Covert B Cave. Nobody beats a covert deal, not now, not ever. All right. And Alipop, baby, this is my favorite. The cream soda. I'm just saying. It's good for you. Healthy soda. I'm addicted to carbonation, so this has changed my life. I'm no longer doing the uh, the caramel sodas that apparently can uh, like eat through a penny. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you don't want that, man. You don't, you don't want that. <laughs> you don't want that. Hell no. Get with the Alipop movement. Just saying. Yeah. You don't want to that stuff that's basically WD-40. You don't want that. Exactly. <laughs> what, what are we doing to ourselves? Yeah. Mm. Um, and also, Great Blue Hair and Furniture, that link right there that you see if you're watching us on YouTube, that's going to take you right to the Texas Sports Unfiltered Collection. This is high-end furniture. And if you use the promo code HOOKEM, you're going to get 15% off. And we're talking about, I've bought furniture from a box store, and it's put together with some cheap wood. You, I mean, some of you have had bed frames collapse. That, that's not going to happen. Blue Heron Furniture is the best built it's it's built for a lifetime and it is high-end leather furniture. So check it out. Great blue hair and furniture. If you're watching us on YouTube, just click that link right there below. It's gonna take you right to the promised land. Zay, uh, Steve Sarkeesian has homework to do. Today's chip shot is the homework that Steve Sarkeesian has to make sure that he gets done in this off week, the red zone offense of the Texas Longhorns is killing them right now. Um, it killed them in the OU game. First and goal from the one, you don't get in. Now OU has a historical moment that will be remembered forever in the Red River series, especially if, you know, depending on how this season ends. But this has been an issue all year. And Steve Sarkeesian has got to get it fixed. And I don't think he needs to involve the defensive tackles. Um, He needs to figure out some other ways to get this done because against elite defenses, putting a, you know, 362 pound man who spends all of his time, you know, splitting double teams and getting blockers off of him. Um, he doesn't need to have that much to do with the offense. This needs to be about your best players on offense executing in the red zone. So whether it's, you know, the getting the brotherly shove going or Savion red in a run pass option type of situation, or, you know, whatever it is, Maybe running behind Kelvin Banks wouldn't be a bad idea, but this has got to get fixed. I mean, if we look back on that moment and say, and somehow Texas as a one-loss team, if say they go on to win the Big 12, gets left out of the college football playoff, 
we're going to look back at that moment and say, that's when it happened. And look, everybody's trying to, you know, think positively about a rematch and history, recent history would maybe give the percentages to Texas because the team that loses the regular season meeting lately has gone on to win the big 12. It's hard to beat a team twice, but we don't need to be talking about red zone problems anymore. Not with the talent on this team and the, you know, the play calling acumen of Steve Sarkeesian. So, this has got to get fixed. We can't be talking about this anymore. We can't be talking about it after Texas plays Houston or K-State or TCU or at Iowa State. This this has to be, oh, wow, look at from the OU game how the red zone offense took off. And Steve Sarkeesian knows these, these coaches. These are smart guys. Kyle Flood, Jeff Banks, Paul Christ is in the room. They got to get this fixed and figured out and they need to do it right now so that this is never a topic of discussion again, because if you ever wanted to hammer home the point that, yeah, it's an issue. And this was an issue coming into the season. I mean, we wrote about it over at horns 24 seven, that there were short yardage situations last year that came back to bite Texas and they needed to get it figured out. Now they're one of the worst teams in FBS in red zone efficiency. And that's, it's almost unthinkable with the talent on this team. So it's got to get fixed. Don't let it get into the head of the players. They can't be going into the red zone thinking, uh oh, you know, they need to be going in the red zone thinking, this is where we live. This is where we eat. This is our, this is where we dominate. And it's got to get done because you can't, the windows now, we've talked about it all year. You've got the talent. You've got the, you've got the, you, you beat Alabama. Once you beat Alabama, you put yourself in the driver's seat and they were there. They were at number three and now they're at number nine. So they're going to have to climb their way back up. But the red zone offense can't be an issue anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it sucks. You know, you think about Sark and the confidence that he had going into that drive where they got stopped four straight times, biggest plays of the game. And just thinking that we got to run the football here and we're just going to manhandle those guys. And you get manhandled and it's like, wow, I thought we were tougher than that. Well, Oklahoma that day was tougher than you. And that's kind of one of those looking in the mirror moments that you have as a team. Like, man, did I really buckle my chin strap for this game? Did we take Oklahoma too lightly due to the film that we watched on their first five games? Or did we take them too lightly because of what we did to them in 2022 going 49-0? I don't know, but you have to take that all into account. But at the end of the day, they punked you and you didn't get it done. So now it's back to the drawing board. And if you just look at all those red zone possessions in that game, Chip, it wasn't just that one, obviously. And Sark's play calling has a lot to do with it. When you go and have a jet sweep reverse 
to Jordan Winnington and the edge rusher doesn't get touched to the side that you're going to, that's a problem. That's a problem. Or when you don't have faith in putting the ball in your quarterback's hands, when going back to that four-play, four-stop drive for Oklahoma, let Quinn Ewers air it out a little bit because he's hot at the time. Those cornerbacks, even though it's the red zone and obviously you have little room to make mistakes, those secondary players for Oklahoma are struggling right now. So put the ball in the air, what they did to Adonai Mitchell in the Kansas game. That was a beautiful play. Like there's different ways that you could use Xavier Worthy, one of the best red zone play calls of Sark's young uh, career here at Texas was the game winner against Iowa State last year with Xavier Worthy and that whip route. We haven't seen that since. So even though they probably know about it on film. We haven't seen it all year long. That would have been a perfect time to throw that play. I don't know if Oklahoma would have given you that setup to where it would have worked, but we know that's in the bag. So there's things that Sark can do. And I like what we people said on our Coda text line about maybe putting Malik Murphy out there. You have Savion Red. There's just so many different things that you could do in the red zone. And it was very rice cake bland in this game against Oklahoma to where you can't do that. And it's not like Sark was like that the whole game. You're talking about a guy that went for it on the fourth down on second uh, on the second possession for the Texas Longhorns in that first quarter, given that Jordan Winnington on that fake punt and going for it on the Savion Red uh, wild horn throw to Gunner Helm. Like he did some plays where you're like, okay, Sark, you're getting a little spicy now. But – yeah, in the red zone, you just don't see that creative energy that you've seen on certain plays. And again, I don't know if that's just arrogant thinking that your offensive line is tougher than what they've shown so far, but th there has to be a change. And I think they're capable of getting it done, especially with the next six games that they have I don't think you're gonna see a team like Oklahoma but still it, it has become a problem and they're just too talented I'm with you Chip they're just too talented all around to be this limited right now in the red zone because this is the money spot you got to be able to score because like the second the second and goal run you're running a toss sweep to the right and you're asking Tavondre Sweat to get the seal block. He's got to get around the outside edge defender and seal him. And you're asking a 362-pound man to do that. That's You're not just asking him to go forward. You're asking him to go sideways and get around. Yeah. That just – and it was a disaster. Like, it was a disaster. Everything broke down. And so – it's and that's and that's where, like, as good as Jonathan Brooks has been this year, that's when, if you're Tashar Choice, we're watching some old Phil, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers Le'Veon Bell tape. Because Le'Veon Bell, during his hay, was the best at seeing and taking his time before he hit the hole to where if stuff collapsed on the normal gap that you're going to take, he was so good at bouncing it out and taking it outside to where, you know, you could get it outside the, uh, the markers and stuff. And, you know, 
it'll come. You're right. It was just a complete disaster, but it wasn't just on the blockers. Like Jonathan Brooks has to be better and just can't force his way into something that's not there. You have to see that early and try to bounce it out as much as you can. I get it. I'd rather have a North-South back than an East-West back, and that's going a little East-West on you, but there are certain times where that's okay. The best backs know, okay, sometimes it ain't going to be there. I got to make something out of nothing, and I think that was a time where number 24 could have done that but it clearly didn't go that way and yeah back to the drawing board back to the drawing board baby all right well let's get to it it's time for the right call it's time for the right call my man yeah man and basketball started i got a little glimpse of the nba last night and who stood out number one pick Victor Wimbenyama, 20 points in 19 minutes for his first ever NBA showcase. He showed why he's number one. And, you know, watching them overseas, because overseas is a different game. It's a completely different game. There's no defensive three seconds, you know, just the way that they move the ball is different. The NBA, it's more ISO, pick and roll heavy. So, Wimbenyama's game translates more in the NBA than it does playing overseas. And plus, overseas, he's more of a traditional big, or that's kind of how they play them, even though he could do a little bit of everything. With what I saw against the Thunder in this game, yo, the freedom that Pop is giving them already. I know it's preseason, I get it, but he was going up against Czech Holmgren, who's also seven foot three, and he's going to be a good player too. He might not be Wimbenyama good, but Czech Holmgren's going to be an all star one day. But Wimbenyama, chip, some of the moves that we saw, he showed us everything. Oh, you want to see block shot? Okay. A dude basically had the ball over the rim. Williams for Oklahoma City for a nice butter roll, thinking that's two points. When Binyama, it seemed like he came from out of bounds to get the block. Like he got hit on the move, got his legs broken down. My man went up for the layup, and when Binyama with that nine-foot wingspan came out of nowhere and sent it out of bounds. A couple of plays later, he comes off the screen like a guard, hits a three. A couple of plays later, he gets a steal, They throw it to him in the break. He runs like a deer. Usually at that size, it just looks gangly and unathletic and uncoordinated. No, he just looks like a 7'5 Kevin Durant running down the court. So I'm sold already. It's a preseason game. I'm sold. That's That dude is special. And I got NBA League pass. I'm, it's going to be worth every penny, even though you get Spurs games on, you know, with Sean Elliott here. It's going to be worth every penny watching the NBA this year and their new tournament stuff. And it's going to be different. But, yeah, I got to watch Wimbenyama. He's out here doing spin moves, finishing with the left like he's Kyrie Irving. Like, it's stupid. It's stupid how skilled he is. And he's just going to get better and better. God forbid injuries because somebody that big, we always worry about his foot. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, you think about Yao Ming and Sean Brad and stuff and you watch when Binyama do his exercises and pregame stretches and stuff he knows 
Like they know that big men like that have a lot of foot injuries and bad foot history. So they're trying to prevent that any way they can. And it's the San Antonio Spurs. They're going to do some load management. They're going to take care of his body. They're going to make sure they take care of his body. So he doesn't have to worry about that. And of course, he's going to be on the right diet and stuff. But man, only in one preseason game, Chip, I'm already sold. Like I saw what I needed to see in that 20 minutes. And yeah, the Spurs got a star they got a star which and they might make the playoffs they might because when Benyama's that skilled and they got a couple of other guys with Vassell and Johnson and Jeremy Sohan's a solid player coming out of Baylor you know they they got some guys and they're gonna beat a lot of good teams this year and shock a lot of good teams I don't know for sure if they'll make the playoffs but they'll at least make the play in and Spurs they got their guy. They got their David Robinson, Tim Duncan dude, and he's special. All right, what about the supporting cast? Like you said, they may make the playoffs. Right. What has to go right for the Spurs to make the playoffs? Um, Devin Vassell just got paid like big time money. So he has to be terrific for him. Keldon Johnson, who they're very high on young player. He's really good. Um, came out of Kentucky, won a gold medal a few years ago with that Olympic team that pop coached. The problem is Trey Jones. Can Trey Jones be that point guard to take the next step? Because point guard's such an important position in all of basketball, especially the NBA. So can he not be a liability versus the point guards that he's going to have to face all year long? Because they're just so tough. Like And the health. Victor Wembanyama, can he stay healthy You know, and play a full 82 games, including that? weird tournament that they have in Vegas, you know, at the beginning of uh, December, which I think he can, but you know, that's, it's basketball, just one bad move. That could be the end of your season. God forbid. So yeah, I, they got, they got some guys, they got some pieces around him that can be pretty good, but the NBA is just loaded this year. The Warriors are going to be good. The Kings are going to be good. The Lakers, I think Timberwolves are going to be a lot better than what they were last year. You got the defending champs, Denver Nuggets. The Phoenix Suns just got Bradley Beal to go along with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. So it's an absolute gauntlet in the West, and just to make it out is going to be tough. But the Spurs, I think they're going to be in the mix. I, I do. I think they're going to be in the mix for that seventh and eighth spot they just got to stay healthy and have a little bit of luck to go along with it all right all right all right like right when we get off the air you got astros at twins series is tied one to one what's your gut feeling on that one Oh, I mean, one thing about the Astros, since they've been here so many times, nothing phases them. So them being 1-1 going to Minnesota, for a lot of people, that'd be, you know, we can't lose this game. Even if they lost, they would probably still have a lot of confidence to win game four and five. So, yeah, they're not going to be phased. Altuve, we know what he could bring. Bregman, Pena, Jordan Alvarez. They just got so many guys. But on the other side, let by Carlos Correa with the Minnesota Twins, like they're not scared either. And you saw Carlos Correa coming back to Houston. He likes Minute Maid. 
I ain't talking about the orange juice either. He likes that ballpark a lot. And he was raking all one and two uh, uh, in both of those last games. So I, who's on the hump? I don't know who's on the mound for the actual. Christian Javier versus Sonny Gray. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like the Strohs, man. I like the Strohs. You know, okay. it's playoff baseball. Anything can happen, but I think the Strohs' experience is going to get them through. And we got to see the Rangers Astros matchup at this point. The Orioles, you might as well not even take that trip up to Arlington. Like, what's the point? Y'all are done, and you know, might as well start packing up the bats and the gloves and stuff. It's over for you. Sorry, Wags. I know that hurts to hear, but we're trying to see a Texas matchup man Astros Rangers that's what we want to see and hopefully the baseball gods can give us that at this point yeah Orioles at the Rangers tonight 703 mm. Fox Dean Kremer versus Nathan Yavaldi. not looking too good O's not looking too good like you right, can't now- up 11 runs man that's way too many I know they got eight but that's that they can't be giving up all them runs all right, now where are you, Zay, on F1? We got uh, like Formula it. One coming in in a week. Uh, I'm messing with it. I'm going to have uh, our guy Rodney Rodriguez breaking it down on Friday when he fills in for you since you and your lovely wife will be going to Tampa. But, yeah, I mess with it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we got a sprint race this year at Coda. Of course, our text line is sponsored by Coda. But for those who've never – you know, they're not familiar with the sprint race. It's like a 17 lap race to figure out the, uh, the qualifying, the, you know, the positioning for the, for the big race on Sunday. This is in, this is awesome. I mean, you get two races basically for, for the weekend and I'm, I'm like jacked. I know Verstappen's already clinched the, the championship, but it's, the best drivers in the world getting after it right here in Austin, Texas. And I mean, God, a couple of years ago, Lewis Hamilton was fighting for stopping for the, for the chase, for the championship and like almost caught for stop. And it was intense. And man, when you get around those cars going 200 miles an hour, it's, it's insane. Yeah, it absolutely. is insane. So if, uh, if anyone's on the fence about, heading out to Coda for, for F1, man, you'll be amazed. It's and go out for the practice days. I mean, go out Thursday, go out Friday. It's, it's amazing. So I'm just saying I was not an F1 person. My wife is a huge F1 person. Like she put you on. Oh, the day we met, she's like, you know, I had a show on another station. <clears throat> She's like, you talk F1? I'm like, uh, no. Like ratings. And she was like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. And then, like, I watched the Drive to Survive series on Netflix. Yeah, and that's cool, yeah. That gets you into it. Yeah. <laughs> you realize, okay, we got 20 drivers, 10 teams, and there's all kinds of drama between the teams, between the drivers, and it's almost like a soap opera on wheels. So uh, I'm in, man. I'm in. I'm fired up. And 
you got what queen and the killers yeah. they always have a big concert they've got um i mean it's a last year they had shack like yeah dj right dj yeah, yeah. shack diesel man that. i gotta see shack in action that's that's my dude. It always hurts me that he wasn't more focused on basketball. I mean, how can you beat four rings? Like he had a pretty good career, but you all like if he was just focused on hoops, Chip, he would have been better than Michael Jordan. Not like he would have been better than all of those guys because he doesn't get credit for being one of the greatest of all time with like Magic or LeBron or so. Even though he's one of the greatest centers of all time, but. Just how much better would he have been if he wasn't a DJ or a fake cop or in or Kazam or rapping? And I had his album. That might have been the first rap album I had back in 93, Shaq Diesel. I was two years old, but I had that album and I jammed it. And I'll still jam it to this day. Can we rock? What's up, Doc? That's a hit. So if Diesel would have focused on just hoops and not all that other stuff, which he's probably glad now because you can't play basketball forever. Talk about endorsements like that dude, General, Icy Hot, that dude, Papa John's, he gets some serious paper. But man, like Shaq, just what a Brett guy. Brett Yormark had him at the Big 12 basketball tournament last year. That's what I'm saying. He got nothing to do with the Big 12. Zero. SEC guy, Louisiana uh, uh, State. Like, what are we doing? Zero. But he's Shaq. Like, how can you not? Now he's with Ernie and Kenny and Charles. He's been with them for over a decade. Like, the dude, he don't sleep. He don't sleep. He don't sleep. Yeah, I saw him up there. He was working the, the post-race <laughs> after party. Shaq Diesel. I'm like, man. That dude, oh, what does he get per per performance? 50K? At least. At least. At least. For yeah. spinning the hits for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. He's talented, man. He's a businessman. I give him that. I I give him that. He's a businessman. And yeah, he's making that serious paper. So I can't knock it just. Man, if he would have just put all that energy in the straight hoops. Zay, tell me you were a better free throw shooter than Shaq. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not even close. Not even close. My pops will always say, I can help Shaq with his free throws because <laughs> my dad is like a shooting guru. He, could all, he would always say every time Shaq went to the line and shot that weird push shot shit he shot, always say how he could help him. And, like, when somebody's that big and your hands are that massive and the ball's like a grapefruit to us normal folk, it's going to be difficult to shoot free throws. It is. And that's kind of going back to my Wimbenyama point that makes him so ridiculous because he has the purest shooting form that you're going to see from somebody that big. And, yeah, it, it takes some serious skill, even though free throws are free, it's – it takes skill to knock them down at a high rate and be 85 to 90%. But yeah, I was better than Shaq. Sure, not even close. What was your what was your career free throw percentage? 82. All right. Yeah, I was knocked down. All right. 
Yeah, I was knocked out. I love going to the line. Didn't get there much, but yeah, when I went there, I was knocked out. All right. Well, I see our man Trey Elling. Trey, what's going on, man? Just not surprised that Zay was an 82% free throw shooter. Yeah. Although I am a little bit surprised you didn't get there more. I figured you had a, an aggressiveness to you. Although you have talked about uh, some of the, the mid-range stuff that you did in the past. I figured that there would be an assertiveness there. Like you're almost forced to as CeCe's kid to ensure that you get to the hole to draw fouls, to get the other team in foul trouble, and to also take advantage of what was a clearly a strength for you offensively, knocking down those those charity stripe shots. Yeah, I had the – I wouldn't say LeBron and Shaq effect because I'm nowhere near as good as those guys, not even close, but I was big. So when you're big and you go you down the lane, calls. you do not get calls. And I didn't fall when I got fouled. I should have sold it more. I wasn't about that because CC would give me shit if I fell a lot. He'd be like, come on, you tougher than that. So I would always make it a point to get hit and not fall. And that wasn't smart. I should have sold it more. I should have been more like Ginobili ah! when I threw <laughs> something up. And I probably would have went to the line more. But, yeah, I drove, just didn't get the calls. And some refs in the Austin area are terrible. We have the worst refs in Texas in the Austin area. Sorry, especially when I left. When I retired, it got so much worse. I was about to say, weren't you an Austin ref for a little while? But that brought the overall quality up then. Is yes, yes. And there's still Ken Patton, the director. Yeah, you're my guy. Yeah, I know you still want me to come back. It ain't happening, bro. It ain't <laughs> happening. The price, the price went up for me. If I get back there, the price goes up for me that I ain't doing that normal rate. I'm better than that. I hate to call it a crisis because crisis invokes something much more serious, but there is a serious shortage of officials at the high school levels and below because the job just isn't worth it anymore with the amount of verbal and occasional physical abuse that those guys and gals have to deal with from just trying to do their jobs. And that's, if you're decent at your job, you still deal with that. If you're completely incompetent on that job, I'm not saying it's deserved, but you're also going to draw more of the ire of the fans watching the game, many of whom are parents of kids on the field of play. Yeah, man. I've been seeing a lot of refs getting in the fights recently, and luckily I was so good. I never had those problems dealing with the fans and stuff and dealing with the coaches. And so good or so big. Yeah, no? I was say, that's the Shaq effect uh, kicking in again. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe so. But I, I've seen refs get chased out to the parking lot by moms. You know, it's worse in girl sports too. Like it's way worse. Like they, Is that right? Oh yeah. Don't wow. let baby girl get hit on the ground. And something crazy happened. And girls throw elbows more. And, yeah, you'd be surprised. You'd be really surprised. But, yeah, you're right, Trey. It's just not worth it for a lot of guys to what the pay is. You know, it's a lot of these guys. Well, 
mostly all these guys second jobs or you're getting off of work and you're already tired for doing the nine to five and then you have an eight o'clock game at night so those dudes mentally they're not there and physically you know and plus you gotta there should be a limit once you hit 70 once you're around dick bavetta's age you're done you can't ref no more there's guys still going out there trying to get cardio in and stuff, and the game has completely passed them by. If you're out there calling John Havlicek's games back when he was in high school or you knew him, you shouldn't be calling now. And there's a lot of those refs, and they look at it as experience instead of these old geezers mucking up the game because it's passed them by. I am on the record as believing that anybody over the age of, let's say retirement age, over the age of 65, needs to take an annual driver's test to ensure that they are still capable of operating a 2,000-pound potential killing machine on a regular basis. Similar test, not the same test, not the same exact test, but similar test needs to get be given to aging officials. You said 70, I'll go 65. Yeah. <laughs> You're starting to get suspect at the age of 65 that you can keep up with the, uh, with the times. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you uh, might be right about that. Uh, Katie is running just a couple minutes late guys. Uh, I know BK is on the other end right now, so he may pop on for a few minutes to, uh, to relieve you guys uh, a few minutes later than usual. I do appreciate the cross talk as always though. Yeah, of course. Appreciate you, course. By, by the way, before we get off, cause you and BK are talking about cancel culture before we jumped on. Yeah. I, I haven't been more hurt about my girl Lizzo like that. That one really hurts that as all the cancel cultures that's happened, none have really affected me, but Lizzo kills me. That kills me. She was supposed to be, for all the big girls, she was supposed to be the one, the, the leader. She was the leader. And how are you going to be mm. fat and hate all the other fat women? That don't make no sense. She kills you because she's been trying to eat you, Zay. That's the problem. At one point in time, I would have loved that. I love me some big girls, BK. Ain't nothing wrong with a little cushion <laughs> for the push. And ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but she messed it up for everybody. Hey, that was big girls are afraid to go outside. Lizzo getting canceled for fat shaming is one of the great stories of 2023, as is Lizzo forcing her backup dancers to eat bananas out of the uh, vajayjays of whatever's going on in Amsterdam. Those two stories together. My goodness, Lizzo. Thank you. Wow. She's just a freak, man. She's just a freak. I don't know that banana story. I got to do some research tonight. Hold on now. Oh, that was yeah. part of the lawsuit is that those girls were forced to, to eat bananas out of the uh, out of the bonus holes of uh, Amsterdam. I don't know if you call them prostitute strippers, whatever was going on, where they were hanging out. That was a part of the bit that Lizzo was pressuring them into uh, consume the banana out of the dancer's glory hole. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, she messes up for everybody. I might have I might have to get to Amsterdam then. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. You guys. Hey. Y'all have a good time. one.